If you're a visitor with us this morning, you are joining us in the beginning stages of a series through the book of Hebrews. Here at College Street Baptist Church, we don't do anything fancy when it comes to sermon series. We just start with the book of the Bible and chapter 1, verse 1, and work our way through like you would read any other book in your life. <laughs> and so this morning, we are picking up in chapter 3 of Hebrews. If you don't have a Bible, that's just fine. There's one in the pew rack in front of you, the blue one, not the green one. You'll have a hard time finding Hebrews in the green one. The blue one, page 1277. So I would encourage you to turn there with me. Long ago, in a land far, far away from here, there was a shepherd tending the flock of his father-in-law named Jethro in the middle of the wilderness. As he was passing by a mountain, he saw a really strange sight, something that I've never seen. There was a bush there, and it was burning, but the flame never consumed the bush. And like any of us would have done, he left his sheep for a moment in order to get a closer look. And when suddenly he drew near, he heard his name calling out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And this man fell on his face, afraid, because it was the voice of the Lord himself. And the Lord began to speak to Moses about how he had seen the affliction of his people in the land of Egypt and all of their suffering. And he said, Now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you. I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Israel. God was appointing Moses in this moment as an apostle, a sent one. That's what apostle means. An apostle sent from the father to rescue his children, the people of Israel, and to bring them out of bondage and slavery. And if you know the story and how it continues, the Apostle Moses, he did go, hesitatingly and doubting though he was. And he did bring the people out of Egypt, and he did conquer Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians. And he brought them to Mount Sinai. He was no longer shepherding sheep, but his 40 years of time in the wilderness had trained him for another 40 years, this time shepherding the people of God. And God gave Moses the law. And God showed Moses the design of a, a tabernacle, a house that he was to build with the people of God so that the presence of God could dwell with man. And he even gave Moses instructions of how to appoint his brother Aaron and his sons to be high priests to serve God in this house. But if you know the story in the book of Numbers, the Bible tells us that Aaron got jealous. Because God seemed to like Moses more. 
And so the Lord came down and he decided and settled this thing once and for all. He called Aaron and Moses' sister Miriam was also involved in this and set them on one side and Moses on the other. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Normally, he says, the way I relate to prophets is I speak to them indirectly. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. What the Lord was saying was, listen, Aaron, I have given you the title high priest. But there is no higher priest than Moses himself. With all others, God says, I speak indirectly with Moses, though. I speak face to face. Moses is the high priest par excellence, the highest priest the Old Testament has to offer. Why do I tell you these stories? Well, because Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, assumes that you and I know these stories. That we know who Moses is. That we know what God accomplished through Moses. That we know all about this Old Testament apostle and high priest who goes by the name of Moses. Moses was great, but in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1 and following, he wants to introduce us to someone greater. You know Moses, but have you considered the better Moses? Well, if you found Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to stand together as we receive the word of God. Let's stand as we read. Verse 20. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. You may be seated. Today's passage in Hebrews chapter 3, really, it rings through with this echoing refrain. It's just two words. We see it there in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. If you take nothing else home with you, then these two words, this is the main point. Consider Jesus. Direct the eyes of your heart toward pondering him. 
mulling him over, thinking about who Jesus is. What has he done? Often when we hear this word, consider, what we think is uh, something that we're not that interested in. You know, like when uh, the guy at Costco flags you down and is trying to do a sales pitch for you to sign up for DirecTV and you say, well, I'll consider it. <laughs> Meaning, not interested, thanks very much. But that's not what the author of Hebrews means when he says to us, consider Jesus. It's not, you know, when you have time, maybe you, you should spend a little bit of it thinking about Jesus, considering him, mulling him over. Maybe he might be good for you. No, it's, it's the same activity that Jesus in, in, encourages us to in Luke 12 when he says, consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. Consider Jesus. It's the role of a preacher like me to be someone who week in and week out is saying this word to you. Consider. We need to have our minds and our hearts constantly redirected to the things of God. The eyes of our hearts always are drifting away to trivial things. Why? Because we are surrounded in this world by trivial things. News, media, trends, videos, even the weather. These things are all fleeting, quickly passing away, some of them within the hour. But how much of our attention, our hearts, are we investing in what will not fade away? If our minds are tethered to what is fleeting, it's no wonder that we ourselves drift. We lose ourselves to the things that we choose to ponder and consider. So the author of Hebrews says to us, consider Jesus. This is the job of brothers and sisters to continually address one another with this word. Consider, direct your mind, think on this. And it's our duty when a brother or a sister comes to us with this word, consider for us to do it. When your brother or your sister comes and is trying to direct your heart heavenward and encouraging you to think about Jesus, your responsibility is to do it. You can't just shrug it off or you can't say, I just can't. I just can't do it. I can't put my mind on Jesus. I can't direct my heart towards him. We're supposed to serve as like mental bumpers to one another. So that when the bowling ball is threatening to go into the gutter, you've got a brother or a sister or a pastor who's going to pop up and redirect you with the word consider. Re-steer your mind towards the goal. Consider Jesus. And in this activity of redirecting out the eyes of our heart, the author of Hebrews brings in a conversation partner, someone who's going to help us to steer our thoughts and our passions and our desires back towards Jesus, he brings in the apostle and high priest of God, the man Moses. Sometimes illustrations are a great way to redirect our focus to what we should be thinking about, and that's what the author of Hebrews does here. 
He's basically saying, let's ponder Moses. And in every way that Moses was faithful, we can believe and trust that Jesus was faithful work. In every way that Moses deserves glory, Jesus deserves even more glory. And this is not to say we're going to bring Moses down a couple of rungs. It's to say, wow, Moses, amazing, faithful, glorious man. How much more, Jesus, then? Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, the author says. Compare him to the greatest apostle and high priest the Old Testament has to offer. And when you see how great Moses is, then consider Jesus and how much greater he must be. Moses was, as we heard in the stories earlier shared, an apostle and high priest. He was sent by the Father to deliver the children of God from captivity in Israel. He was a high priest. He made it his job to, to stand between the wicked, sinful Israelites and a holy God. To pray for them. To intercede for them. God, forgive these people. To offer sacrifices for their sins. And the author of Hebrews makes it plain, this Moses was faithful. He was faithful in all God's house. But to what end? What became of those people that Moses rescued out of slavery in Egypt after centuries and centuries of not obeying the law that Moses had given them, of not honoring the house that Moses had set up for them, years of disobedience, unholiness, wickedness. They committed this one last act of treason against the Lord, given the choice to stay in the land and trust in the Lord or to leave, they willfully decided to abandon the promised land and of their own volition go back to Egypt. That's what the prophet Jeremiah tells us. That's what became of Moses' faithfulness to the people. Well, brothers and sisters, let us then consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. When we call him the apostle, what we're saying is we believe that the Father sent him to rescue us. Not everyone believes this about Jesus, that Jesus is the sent one, come down from the Father in order to rescue us, his brothers. When we call him high priest, we consider that he entered the presence of God on our behalf, not like Moses, they keep making offering after offering that is ineffective to make us holy or to forgive our sins, but Jesus entered making a single offering and then entered into the presence of God to intercede for us forever. Consider Jesus. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God sent to us from our Heavenly Father. We confess that Jesus is the Son of Man returned to heaven, qualified to make the sacrifice for our sins and to intercede on our behalf with God. As our apostle, Jesus brings God to us. As our high priest, Jesus brings us back to God. Now, Moses' faithfulness was not a waste. You might get that feeling because everything that he tried to do for the people ended up, in the end, being undone. 
one great thing that Moses provides us with is a standard. We're supposed to have the Summer Olympics this summer. Fingers crossed, right? We hope that they go off. My wife, Mindy, loves to watch the Olympics. Uh, but you all remember from Olympics past, Michael Phelps, one of the greatest American Olympians ever of any sport. His record of gold medals serves as a standard. If in the future someone were even to surpass Michael Phelps in the number of gold medals or were to go on to break the records that he set in the swimming pool, his standard of greatness would show us how much greater that person who breaks his record must be. Well, that's Moses. When we consider Jesus, Moses helps us to see how truly great Jesus is. Everything Moses did, Jesus did, and he did it better. That's the point of verse 3. Look at it with me. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Friends, every faithful apostle, every faithful high priest in the history of God's people has been echoing this refrain to us. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Don't look at me. I'm just here to point you to Jesus. Consider him. They knew that their ministry, even as they were seeking to be faithful, only could scratch the surface of reflecting the true faithfulness of Jesus on our behalf. If Moses were here today preaching a sermon to us standing in this pulpit, he would have two words for us. Consider Jesus. We, in fact, have these last parting words in Deuteronomy 18, Moses' final sermon. We heard them once already this morning. He says to the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. There it is. Consider Jesus. Jesus himself, when he was walking this earth, was frustrated with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and all these people who claim to love Moses. He's our favorite guy. He's so faithful. He's awesome. We love his law. We love his house. We love everything that Moses stands for. And Jesus says... If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because what was Moses screaming to you through the law and the house that he set up? Consider Jesus. He wrote of me, Jesus says in John 5. The author of Hebrews says in verse 5 of our passage this morning, now, Moses was faithful. He was a great guy. He was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. This is the role that Moses plays. He's not the eternal savior of the people of God, but he does testify. He does bear witness that a savior is coming. When we see Moses sent from the father to deliver his brothers out of slavery, to rescue them through the death of a Passover lamb and then to lead them through the baptismal waters of the Red Sea that part for them, to give them the law of God to live in holiness in the wilderness and finally lead them to the promised land. It's all a shadow of what Jesus is going to do for us. 
His entire faithful ministry cries out to us. Consider Jesus. Whatever glory belongs to Moses for his faithfulness in the house of God. How much more Jesus. The second and third points this morning are going to come at us fast. And they come from the final verse that we read this morning. Verse 6. Point 2 is going to establish who owns us. And point three is going to establish then what is our responsibility. Let's read there the second sentence of verse six. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So the second point deals with ownership and it's this. We are his house. We are his house. The question is, who is the his referring to? Is this, are we, do we belong to Moses or do we belong to Jesus? And that's the point that's established in verses 5 and 6. That's why he's arguing there. Let's read it together. Listen to the contrast again. Verse 5. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. That's the key word there. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful, faithful over God's house as a son. Certainly, we would argue that a faithful servant deserves honor. When they're faithful to their master and they complete all the tasks given to them, they should be honored for that. But no matter how hard a servant works... And no matter how faithful they are, they cannot work their way into status as a son. No matter how faithful a servant is, over his entire lifetime, he can't earn the house that he works for. That's an inheritance that belongs to sons only. And that's why verse 4 says what it does. For every house is built by someone. The builder of all things is God. Okay, follow the logic with me here. If the maker of all things is God the Father, then the heir of all things would be God the Son. Because this is how inheritances work, right? Father builds a business, he passes it on to his son. Well, if God has built all things, then all of those things are inherited by the Son. And if God has made us, if he is doing a work in us, if he is building us into a house, then we must belong to no one other than the Son of God. We do not belong to Moses. We are his house, the Son's house. Indeed, consider that the work of grace and mercy that God is doing in your life the person he is building you into, the church that he is building among us. Jesus is waiting patiently for the Father to complete his work so that he can inherit us at the end of the age. That's what Jesus is doing in heaven. He's got his feet up on a footstool and he's waiting. The Father's doing work by the Spirit, preparing us and we know that whatever work the Father does, the Son gets to inherit. We are that work. We are his house. He's waiting to inherit us. 
and down through history, God has used various servants, faithful men and women like Moses, to do great things in the house of God and to move his purpose along like a foreman. You know, Moses oversaw some of the most important elements of the building that God was making. But a foreman doesn't get to keep the house when he's done building it. He gives it to its rightful owner. So whatever work Moses may have accomplished among the people of God, it is all a work that is meant to belong to Jesus. Because Moses was a servant. Jesus was the son. You know, we look back at the Old Testament and there were some shortcomings in the work Moses was doing. Not his fault. But in the house where Moses ministered, Moses was seeing God face to face. Not the people. Moses was hearing the voice of God. Not the people. And Moses could not show them the Father. In fact, every time he came out of the tent, he had to put a veil over his face. But Jesus comes. And in the Son, we see the Father. Because of Jesus, we hear the Father. Because of Jesus, we actually have a helper, the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwelling inside of us and helping us to obey this command to consider Jesus. Moses was appointed as a caretaker of the house of God, and he was very faithful, but he couldn't save the house of God any more than the sacrifices of bulls and goats could do a single thing to take away even one sin. It's not his fault. He was a servant. Jesus is the son. We are his house. Jesus, the apostle and high priest, was sent. He came to this earth in order to gather his brothers into the house and to make us holy. I don't know how to spell this out any more plainly, but if it's true that we are a house, then it follows that we need to gather in the house. We as brothers and sisters need to be together in the household of God to sing, to pray, to listen, to worship, to give. And I know this past year has made it difficult for some of us to be in the house. But that ought to be our deepest desire, is to be with the household of faith, the people of God, those who are his house. Think about what happens in a house. A house is where a family lives. A house provides protection. A house is where we get our food. A house is filled with warmth and love. A house is an inheritance. Brothers and sisters, this is who we are. This is who we must be. We are his house. So we must consider Jesus. We need to know who we belong to. We, we are his. We are his house. And then finally, there's this matter of our responsibility. There's, there's actually a contingency there, an if statement in verse 6. Look at it with me. We are his house if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So as we conclude this morning, this is our final exhortation and our responsibility is to hold fast. Hold fast. Now you see, Moses knew that the ministry he was performing was not going to work. 
Before Moses even was able to give the people the law, do you know what he had to do? Throw it on the ground and break it in pieces. They had broken the law before he'd even read it to them, coming down the mountain. Moses knew the law wouldn't work. He was given a 40-year front row seat preview of all the sin and disobedience and transgression that God's people were going to fill the promised land with. The giving of the law only brought out the lawlessness in the people, but Moses was faithful. He held fast, trusting that if he saw that the law fell short of making the people good and holy and righteous, then surely if Moses saw this, God must have as well. In fact, Moses tells the people that in his last sermon. He says, listen, you guys aren't going to obey me. In fact, you're going to do all the things God says are cursed. And God's going to have to scatter you out of the land. But then, I'm holding fast to this, that on that day, the Lord your God will then do what needs to be done. Circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Moses was holding fast. Do you know what? That has happened. And God has made it happen in us. We need to hold fast as well. We have to hold fast that this is true. That we are holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. That's verse 1. That's what we need to hold on to. Trusting and believing that that is true. That we are holy that we are brothers and sisters, and that we share in a holy calling. Hold fast to your confidence. We have a brotherly confidence. We can say about ourselves, I am a son of God. Why? Because I know that Jesus isn't ashamed to call me brother. And if I'm brothers, sister of Jesus, that must mean that God is my father. And that gives us confidence. Maybe you remember when you were in school, you maybe went to school and had a big brother. And nobody would touch you because they knew your big brother would come and beat them up. How much stronger is Jesus our brother? And what confidence should that give us in our Christian life? That he's going to protect us. That the Father, in fact, has sent him to deliver us out of whatever trouble we have made for ourselves. And to defeat death and Satan and all of our enemies and bring us back into the house. Hold fast to your confidence, brothers and sisters. Hold fast your boasting. That's the second thing he says. We boast in the fact that we are not just brothers and sisters, but holy brothers. Our holiness is our boasting. This is what Christian boasting looks like. It looks like living holy lives. Our holiness is how we brag about Jesus. You want to boast in Christ? You should go exercise self-control. You want to boast and hold to your boasting? You should be kind to your children. You want to boast in Jesus? Why don't you go sacrifice for your spouse? Why don't you go be humble? Why don't you make your mouth be filled with words of encouragement instead of curses and bitterness and gossip? You want to boast? Be holy in sacrificing yourself to the Lord and your time and your money and your talents. Guard your tongue. Keep your footsteps from the pathway of temptation. 
Holiness is our boasting. We must hold fast. And finally, we need to hold fast our hope, the author of Hebrews says. And what fuels our hope? Well, it's in verse 1 again. Therefore, brothers, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. We often speak of calling using uh, the passive voice. You know, I, I felt called to do this. I'm feeling a calling. But the thing is, calling isn't just some impersonal force. Someone must be calling us if we feel called. If you hear a calling, someone must be calling you. The universe doesn't just call out our names at random. You know, your mom calls your name, or your wife calls your name, or your teacher calls your name, or your child. If you've got a heavenly calling, you better believe it's because someone is calling you. Your phone starts ringing like mine did this week, and you don't know the name, but you can see it's calling from Kingston, Jamaica. And you say, well, I don't know anyone in Kingston, Jamaica. And so you don't pick up. <laughs> but you get a heavenly calling, and you say, well, I do know someone in heaven. His name is Jesus, and I'm going to listen. If you are partaker, a partaker in a heavenly calling, as the author of Hebrews says that you are, then there is only one voice that you must be hearing. It's the voice of our Savior Jesus calling you. Your glorious King, your perfect brother, your merciful high priest, and when he is calling you, it's because he's helping you along the way. In fact, the Bible says, Jesus says, I will send the helper. And what's he going to do? He's going to help you hear my voice. He's going to be in your heart so that you'll know it's me calling you down the path of holiness that leads to heaven. The calling of Jesus will not fail. He is summoning you heavenward. And so may you hold fast. May we consider Jesus. We are his house, after all. Let us hold fast to this better Moses. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak your word into our hearts, that your spirit would magnify, multiply your word so that we would know how to live and believe and to hold fast in this week ahead. We trust in you. Help us to focus our eyes and to consider you with the eyes of our hearts, even as this world tries to draw our focus away. Help us not to be discouraged. Help us to hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our great hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.